Bibles, we are, what we're going to do is we're going to read our passage for the evening straight off the top. Um, but I'm also gonna, going to cheat a little bit here, and I don't want to read it myself. So I've invited Chelsea to come and read our passage. Thank you, Chelsea. Let's welcome her. And she's going to read our passage. It is from James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. You sure you got that right? Not Psalm 5, okay? James 5, 1 to 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Thank you, Chelsea. Give her a, give her a round of applause. See, I, I, isn't that just a, a nice passage to read right there? Isn't it nice of Dave Lethe to go away on holidays and give me this passage? Uh, there's not a lot that's kind of nice in there. Thank you for reading it so well, Chelsea. Um, but... Tonight we are going to explore this passage and I think there is a lot for us. It's pretty clear, I think, from just at least gleaning a few of those words. We're going to be talking about wealth, we're going to be talking about riches, we're going to be talking about money tonight, okay? And it's one of those topics that you see a lot in the Bible and we're going to dive in and James talks about it right here. So when we think of wealth, sometimes you, you might be tempted to go, okay, super wealthy people who, you know, have heaps of money at their disposal, don't even think twice about spending it. Um, they've got, you know, multiple houses and land and yachts and you name it, you, you, limos, whatever it is, cars, amassed a fortune, right? You might be thinking about that. But let's just set a bit of a baseline for what we're talking about when we talk about wealth. This is the word I'm going to kind of use a fair bit tonight, wealth, as opposed to, to money or riches. So when we're talking about wealth, let's talk about it in terms of dollar value. Where are Aussies at? Let's bring it to our level. Where are Australians at when, we, when it comes to our wealth? Well, According to a report from last year, you might be surprised to hear that Australian adults are the wealthiest people in the world, okay? Aussies topped the global rankings for median wealth per adult. So that's the average wealth per adult, and the figure is $315,000 per person. That's according to a global wealth report. And that particular report also found that one in 10 Aussies are now millionaires. So that includes all your assets. That's not just money. We're talking about, you know, house, land, all, that, all your assets. One in 10 are now millionaires. You know, get this, by 2025, okay, three million Australians are expected to be millionaires. Three million. We've got wealth all around us. And sometimes it's kind of like it's hidden in plain sight. We, we're so used to kind of seeing it in different ways and at different levels that it's just, it's right there in front of us and we can be tempted to kind of take it for granted even. And tonight what I want to do is, uh, I'm going to take another step in talking about wealth. I'm going to identify what I've called the four Ps. I, I had this this moment when I was off on my run thinking about the message this week, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to find four letters that work in terms of this, because I started with P. Okay, anyway, that's a little side, side note. Um, the first P that I want to talk about is, uh, is possessions. 
Okay, when it comes to wealth, we think about possessions, this is pretty obvious. It's the stuff that we own from house to land to all the big things, but also all the little things, you know, our clothes, our shoes. You know, how many of us have like at least three pairs of shoes? You know, you're wealthy in terms of shoes, right? So it's all the stuff that we have, possessions. That's the first P when it comes to wealth. The second P when it comes to wealth is power. So when we think about power, um, if you have power, um, you have the authority or the ability to make something happen that you might not otherwise be able to make happen. And I want to say or use that as a way of saying you're actually rich or you're wealthy if you have a degree of power. Now the closest link of course to power is, well if you've got money at your disposal, you can use that money as purchasing power if you will, right? And you can say, okay, I'm going to have this person clean my house meticulously for this amount of money, and they will do it. So that's power. The third P is profit. Now, I'm kind of stretching it a little bit here, but when we think about profit, we often think about money on top of, of what, or not less expenditures, or not um, a deficit, or anything like that. But what, what I'm, I'm kind of twisting the word a little bit here. When I say profit, I'm talking about excess money that we have at our, at our um, expenditure, that we're available, av- able to ex- expend, expend, able to spend. Okay, so even if you've got debt, you know, you get paid, you still have money on hand, you're able to spend that. That's what I'm calling like profit, money that we have available. And the fourth P is produce. These are things that you're able to produce, um, and if you can produce something, I want to say that you have a degree of wealth. So the obvious example here is tradies, right? Tradies, you have a particular skill, you can produce something that contributes to an overall um, benefit or a value added, so which I'm calling kind of wealth. But it's not just tradies. You know, thanks to the education that many of us have received, you guys will have skills and valuable assets in terms of what you can produce, and that is an outworking and can be measured in terms of wealth. So these are the four Ps that we're kind of keeping in our minds, okay, as we go through our passage this evening and talk about wealth. And I want to say that each of these four Ps actually speak to one other big P, and that is pride. Um, As Aussies, we are a really proud nation. We wear our hearts on our sleeves when it comes to our pride, when it comes to living on the land. You know, we love our nation, and, and rightfully so. We're blessed in so many ways, right? Um, A survey by McCrindle, it actually said that um, Aussies, when they were asked about their level of pride, 40% of Aussies said they were very proud and that hadn't changed. 31% said they were proud and they were getting prouder. 23% indicated that while they were proud, they were less proud than they used to be. But we're not only proud in terms of overall national um, pride, We take pride in our Aussie phrases, don't we? We are very proud. A little fun stat. Nine out of ten Aussies are actually positive about phrases like down under and no worries and true blue and dinky die. How crazy is that? And nearly, oh sorry, nearly three and four Aussies are actually positive about using that term dinky die. Now, I haven't heard any of you guys using that one, so I don't know about that statistic. But my point is, when it comes to our Australian identity, we are a proud nation. And uh, the wealth that we have, the wealth that we can amass or we, that we have at our disposal can contribute to that pride. 
Now, last week, Deanna spoke from um, chapter 4 in James, where James is talking about um, all such boasting that we do is evil. And there's a link right there in terms of the boasting that we can do, the way that we can flaunt um, our wealth is a degree of pride here. So they're the four Ps, possessions, power, profit and produce, and they can be a boasting point for pride in our lives. Now, we're going, as we go along tonight, you're going to probably have a lot of different questions, but one of the big ones that we probably have, um, or if you don't have it yet, you might have it by the time we, we get to the end, is does God actually want us as Christians to be rich? Does God want Christians to be rich? Have a think about the answer. Don't, say, don't uh, share it with anyone yet. We'll come back to that. We're going to answer that question as we go along. Does God actually want Christians to be wealthy and to be rich? So tonight, that's a little bit of a setup for where we're going in terms of wealth, get our heads in the, in the game. James has got a really clear warning in this passage for those who are wealthy, and we're going to um, uncover that. Let's have a look what he says in verse 1. He says, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. What's this weeping and wailing that he talks about? This is straight off the top here when he's talking about a warning to the wealthy. Well, this weeping and wailing is actually a reference to Old Testament weeping and wailing that happens in uh, Isaiah and Amos. And that weeping and wailing is referring to judgment that is to come. So James is already referring, he's saying straight away, there's a judgment that is to come. And then he says, he's talking about these people who've got this misery that's coming on them. And he's actually referring to people who are unbelievers here, who don't have a faith in God. So straight off the top of this passage, James is addressing unbelievers when it comes to his warnings to the wealthy. But before we go ahead and say, okay, there's nothing here of value, I'm just going to tune out because I have a faith in God, I think, like I said before, I think there's some really great truths that we're going to be able to uncover as we continue along here. Let's jump on in. Verse number three, James says that you've hoarded wealth in the last days. The wages you've failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields, they're crying out against you. He says, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one. Some pretty strong words that James is using right here, straight away, accusing these people of. He's pretty much saying that they are guilty when it comes to their wealth. What are they actually guilty of? A number of different things. James says, first of all, hoarding is one thing. They've hoarded their wealth in the last days. I'm sure you guys have probably seen one of those um, random TV shows like Hoarders or something like that where, you know, the camera crew's outside the house, it's a normal house, but then you push open the door and people walk through the front door and, like, there is stuff everywhere, floor to ceiling, and it's just everywhere, you can't even move. There's, you know, it's disgusting a lot of the stuff half the time. It's piled up, some of it's junk. Most of it is actually useless stuff, right? But these people, they just can't. And, you know, I feel, we really feel sorry for them, Sheree and I, when we watch these shows sometimes. You know, they just can't um, let go of some of these things. It's a real um, issue that they have. But they've held on to their things. They've held on, they've cling tight. They're not willing to let go. And this is what James is saying here to these wealthy people. You're holding onto that wealth. You are not willing to let it go. You are storing it up instead of giving it and using it effectively as a good steward of God. 
So that's what they're guilty of. They're also guilty of cheating. Verse 4 says that the wages that these employers failed to pay the workers who mowed their fields are crying out against them. So these people, they've employed these people to, to mow their fields and they haven't paid them what was rightfully theirs. They've cheated them out of what is theirs as far as, far as wealth is concerned. This is a serious offence. Um, I worked for a telemarketing company back in the day when I was going through uni. Um, and we had a, had a business, oh sorry, had a one floor on, in Tawong Tower, so we had lots of overhead costs, and we were just in early stages of startup, this telemarketing company. Anyway, um, I, was, I was there, one of few, a few um, employees, and I worked for about a month or so at this place. Anyway, it got to the weekend, obviously I didn't work on the weekend, but I got a phone call from my boss one weekend, and she said, don't come in to work the next day, Dave. Um, we're working some stuff out, but we won't be working from the, our, our office where we are. So don't come in to work, I'll call you. And I was like, okay, hang up the phone. Anyway, a couple of days pass by, and I don't hear anything, so I pick up the phone, I'm calling her, I'm calling her, I'm leaving messages, I'm sending emails, I'm getting nothing, I'm calling my colleagues, uh, they're, they're getting nothing as well. We're going, what is going on here? And anyway, I get to the end of that week, I, I pick up the phone to call, and it's a deadline. And at that moment, I knew this business has folded already. One month, I've worked a whole month, and I'm not going to get paid a single cent for my work. I felt super, super cheated in that moment. And this is what James is saying here. He's saying, these people, you've actually cheated others. You've held back what was rightfully theirs instead of freely giving it. Then verse 5 goes on to say they've lived in luxury and self-indulgence. This is selfishness that he's talking about here. James gives us this picture of something that has been fattened in the day of slaughter. You think about chickens, there's a particular breed that you get, right, that's an eating breed eating breed, I guess you'd say, the produce breed. And these chickens grow faster than other breeds of chickens, and they grow really plump, and they grow quicker than these other chickens. They get to this stage where they basically are ready to go and become a Woolies cooked chook. And so that's what happens, right? So and in this case, this is what James is referring to here. He's drawing this picture um, of these people, except the fattening is actually happening because of their selfishness. They've gorged themselves. There's self-indulgence. They're indulging on things that satisfy their own desires. And this is the picture that he's drawing for us right here. It's a big one for us in Australia because we are taught to look out for ourselves. The number one person in our society that you are meant to look out for, you take care of yourself. Look after yourself first, you know, that's what's important. Self-indulgence, yeah, go for it. Chase your dreams. Now, I'm not saying don't chase your dreams, guys. Um, spend that money on that new thing, you're going to feel better about it. You know, buy those new clothes, you're going to fit in with everyone else. Um, Go on that experience, that's going to make you satisfied. That is perfect. You know, subscribe to that service, you are going to be very happy. Um, satisfy your own desires and you will reach this fulfillment in life. And James is actually saying here, you know what, this is selfishness. You're guilty of it, it's not good when it comes to your wealth. 
And finally, in verse 6, he says that they've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing them. So if someone is innocent, they obviously don't deserve punishment. But James here is actually saying that you're guilty when it comes to your wealth because you've actually taken advantage of other people. You've used your wealth unjustly. I mean, no one likes to be taken advantage of. Did you know that half the world, over half the world, lives with a household income of less than $2.50 a day? That's a level of poverty that's the equal of slavery. You know, there are sweatshop workers in, in countries that work tireless hours in terrible working conditions. They have this fear placed over them that, you know, if they don't produce a certain quota or a certain amount of units, whether it's clothing or gadgets or, or technology or anything like that, that they won't get paid. And so they're just getting taken advantage of. And what makes it even worse is that the wages they do get paid are barely enough for them to survive for the next day, let alone the next week. That's getting taken advantage of, and I'm sure you agree that's, that's not right. And James here is saying these people are guilty of taking advantage of others. So that's the four areas right there that they're guilty of. Now let's backtrack and we'll look at verse 2 and 3 and see what James has to say here. Because now he starts to paint a little bit more of an image for us. He says that your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Strong words. Strong pictures for us. Vivid images as far as wealth is concerned and the rotting, corrosion eating and devoured and burned up. So what does this all mean? What is James trying to say here? Well, I think there's a couple of things we can, we can piece, uh, pick out of this, these two verses. Firstly, riches that we hold on to bring about misery. You know, there are many unsaved people who are wealthy in the world today who are just not happy. You know, you would expect to see, a, see celebrities who, you know, have wealth, to be always happy and always satisfied, but you often see the opposite, don't you? You see discontentment, you see bitterness, you see um, dissatisfaction, emptiness, discontentment. We know that saying really well, money cannot buy happiness, but James is actually saying here, you know, on the contrary, hoarding or holding on to too much, it actually brings about misery or despair. So holding on to those riches reaps miserable dividends in the end. Now, I'm not saying that we can't save money, okay? That's, that's, not, that's not what it's saying here. But if we hold on to and we hoard those riches for selfish gain, if we hold on to them, then he's saying that misery will come in the end. Number two, what is he saying here? He's saying that material wealth is temporary. He's drawing these really clear pictures of, of this gold and silver that is nice and shiny one, one day and now becomes corroded and rotted. You know, moths eating holes in clothes, clothes that are nice, now all of a sudden become holy and disgusting. Um, there is nothing that we can hold on to and take into eternity with us. Riches will not provide us with any kind of satisfaction in eternity. Everything material is going to pass away. 
And so riches are not going to profit us, they're not going to provide security and a safety net for us to lean on forever and in all ways in our lives. And then finally, number three, James says, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Here, he's basically saying that there's a judgment that's coming, it's on the way. And James holds this over these unbelievers who are wealthy. He's basically saying, there's going to come a time where you are going to be judged for the way that you have managed your wealth. Now, if you put your faith in Jesus, thankfully, uh, he, his, he covers our sins, right? And so, so we have that to rest in. But there is going to be a judgment coming. There is something that we all ha- a judgment that we'll have to be held accountable to. So what does this all mean for us in terms of wealth? How do we, if you call yourself a Christian, how can we apply what James is talking about here to these unbelievers to our own lives today? Well, let's start with that question that I, that I had off the top. Does, does God want Christians to be rich? Well, I think if you're acquiring wealth in an honest way, then God does not have anything necessarily against you having riches or being rich. But Scripture teaches us that it's not about wealth or poverty that determines our relationship with God. It is our spiritual condition. That's what matters. Being spiritually rich is important when it comes to the kind of wealth that you and I want to have. That's kingdom of God wealth right there. It doesn't necessarily mean that God doesn't want Christians to have wealth in the physical as well as the spiritual. There are Christians who do have extreme physical wealth um, and a lot of them have used their own uh, intellect that God has given them to you know, create businesses and generate that wealth. Um, there are Christians, uh, prob- possibly like you and I, who comparatively to the rest of the world, you know, we actually do have a degree of physical wealth. Uh, Compared to the super wealthy, that might look like a little bit of a different picture, but overall, we've been blessed with a degree of material wealth that means that we don't have to just survive. We don't have to just look after those basic needs, like knowing whether we've got a roof over our head or we've got clothes and food in our stomach, those kinds of things. So there's nothing here that's saying that's directly against having riches. I want to make that really clear. James is not saying that. But what is important is our attitude towards our wealth. Attitude is so important in so many areas. You hear about having a good attitude and, and having a bad attitude. And, you know, you don't want to be around those who, who, who have the bad attitude. You want to be around the ones who have the good attitude, especially in like, things like your workplace scenario, right? So what is your attitude towards wealth? How do we view our money What's your perspective when it comes to your possessions and the things that you own? And so what I've got this evening as we're kind of getting towards the end of our message is a list of questions for us to consider. Um, and, And these questions are not meant to make us feel guilty, okay? They're not a guilt trip. These are meant for to be challenges for us to consider when it comes to our attitude towards wealth. So keep that in mind as I read these questions out. It's about our attitude. And there's, there's the question on your screen. Keep that at the forefront of your mind. Is your attitude towards wealth and riches 
one that seeks to be proud. Maybe you want to own that next thing on the list because it's a bit of a you know, status symbol or it makes you look good in front of others. Do you store up and hoard riches? Do you find security in having money in your bank account? What if, how would you respond if you had no money in your bank account tomorrow? What would your attitude towards that situation be? Are you wise with your spending? Or do you use up every single dollar and sometimes you might use it up on things that really you look back and you think, that's not worth it? Do you sometimes maybe even look back and go, well, where did that paycheck even go? I don't even know. What about your savings? Do you have self-control to be able to save money well? Do you want to use your wealth only to please yourself? Do you want to use it just for your own satisfaction, your own benefit? Or does your heart extend to others and to other spaces? Do you see the wealth and the resources that you, you have as God-given resources? Or just wealth that you've made for yourself, by yourself, and therefore you are entitled to use it as you wish? Do you give towards the work of the church, who is the bride of Christ? These are some of the questions that might prompt us to consider what our attitude is towards wealth. And I just want to add as well, I'm not a financial advisor, but on a practical note, if you, if you have questions, if you have, um, you know, you, you, you have an area when it comes to wealth or finances that maybe you want to explore more in terms of just getting organised, then I do have a few basic um, resources that I can point you towards. Again, not financial information, not financial advice, right? But you can come and see me. I've got like things like a basic budget planner, stuff like that, real practical things, because I understand sometimes we need those practical things just to start with so we can see what's going on when it comes to wealth and our finances. So come and see me afterwards if, if you want some links to that. Um, I also want to invite the musos forward now as we uh, close out. What should our attitude be then towards wealth? Well, in, this, in the lead-up to this passage, James has said a few different things. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 6, he said, God opposes the proud, but he gives favour to the humble. In verse 10, he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And it's the same for us when it comes to wealth. Our attitude to wealth needs to be one of humility not pride. This means that we acknowledge that our money does not define us. The possessions that we own, they don't define us. They're not part of our, our main identity. The power that we have and that we use is not there to make us look better in the eyes of others. The wealth that we generate is not one of the most important things in life. It's not about gaining more to be, ha to be happy and satisfied. We need to be humble and have this attitude of humility. And thankfully, you and I, we have the greatest example of humility in Jesus. God in the flesh who came to earth, not as a king who wanted to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for you and I. 
Philippians 2 verse 8, it tells us that being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death itself, even on a cross. And so tonight we are going to partake in communion together. Um, Ash has got some elements. If you just want to put your hand up, if you don't have one, she will come around and, and give you an element. Just keep your hand up there. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to sing the first part of this song together. And I want you to hold your, your communion elements because we're going to take it together, okay? I want to read a scripture to you guys now. It's from 1 Corinthians 11 verses 27 to 28. It says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So this is a time, as we come around the Lord's table here, this is a time for us to examine ourselves. Take time just to reflect and think, is there anything that's standing in the way between your relationship with God right now? And give that over to Him as you examine your heart. Bring that before God. His grace is sufficient. His mercy has saved us. The words of the song we're going to sing in a moment, they say that you can have it all, every part of my world, Lord. And so as we sing this, reflect on the humility of Jesus, who didn't boast, he didn't try to make himself bigger, didn't try to make himself better, but rather he humbled himself. This is God in flesh. He could have called on 10,000 angels to save him from going through what he went through, but he willingly went to the cross for us. That in turn, we might know life. We might have hope in Jesus. And so after you've reflected on his humility... Reflect on that question. What's my attitude to wealth? Is it one of humility and meekness? Or is it boastful? Is there degrees of pride? Do I freely trust God with the wealth He's given me? Or do I cling on to it tightly? And so we're going to sing this in a moment. And then when we get to the chorus, if you want to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord over this area of your life, your wealth, your, your finances then I invite you to sing this chorus out loud. So I'm going to pray now. We're going to sing the first part of this song together and then we're going to come back and we're all going to take communion together. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your warnings. Sometimes they do seem very harsh and severe. But God, they are not there just for us to, to have our, our ears entertained, God. You take it seriously when it comes to our wealth. And clearly James here is wanting us to know and be warned of the traps and dangers when it comes to wealth. God, we thank you for the abundance and the many ways that you have blessed us. God, we want to be people who ooze that characteristic of humility 
Would you help us when it comes to our own wealth? Would you help us to be more humble and less proud? Would you help us to know how to be wise stewards when it comes to our wealth? This isn't just something for now. As as we go through life, we will go through different twists and turns. There will be highs, there will be lows, God. But we thank you, Lord, that you are our hope that we can hang on to. You are the one that we can look to as that great example of humility. And so, God, now as we sing this song, we just say, you can have it all, every part of our world. Amen.